Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast. It's episode number 107. I am Michael Citro, founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com. And uh, I am joined by Mainland uh, writer David Rowe. Dave, how are you doing this week? I am completely uh, exhausted and overwhelmed after a uh, monumentous week of all the things we're going to talk about today. We do have a lot to talk about. Even though Orlando City was off this week, they they still managed to find plenty of news. Uh, One of the things that they have put out, uh, I think, since we last discussed uh, soccer here on the podcast, uh, was that they're going to have a friendly with Puerto Rico uh, to raise money for that island and, uh, you know, hurricane relief for that. We don't have all the details for that yet, but we know it'll happen after the season, uh, probably about a week after the season, maybe looking at that weekend following the game at Philadelphia. Um the other big news was today. We got word this morning that the club was going to have a, uh, a press conference. And we knew something big was going to be announced when uh, we heard uh, who was going to be there, uh, including uh, the club's majority owner, Flavio Augusto da Silva, uh, CEO Alex Leitao, and the captain himself, Kaká. And as it turns out, David... Kaká is not going to accept the one-year contract extension offer that the club made him. Uh, We had someone, uh, we had our Brandon Turton on on site today at the press conference, uh, and uh, he uh, asked Flavio about the contract extension uh, or the contract offer, 
and Flavio uh, let fly the info that uh, it was not going to be a designated player um, contract, which means it could mean that it was, you know, really super low uh, below the DP threshold or what it more than likely meant was that it would have been a deal that the club could have paid down below the DP threshold so as not to take a designated player um, slot away from the team to spend on Kaká. And uh, so no real surprise that that kind of an offer uh, was turned down by Kaká. He did not go into any details about what he wants to do next. But of course, uh, he never brought up the R word for retirement. And uh, the fact that he didn't uh, talk about uh, a team that he will play for next or, or speculate on any of that simply means uh, that he is a, a good citizen who is under contract with uh, MLS and Orlando City, and you just don't talk about uh, any other teams you know, going to play for them while you're uh, still under contract. So uh, that's a big no-no in, in MLS land and, and generally in, in the soccer world. So I don't know, Dave, what do you uh, – let's start with you. What do you make of this uh, announcement today? Um, it's one of those things where you're, you're – Surprised and not surprised at the same time. Um, we knew something was going to happen. Um, he was either going to, and it's going to sound silly, he was going to go, he was going to stay, uh, or he was going to stay for a limited time. As it turns out, uh, he's going to go. Um, I'm not surprised that the club did not want to keep him on at a DP level. Um, he has not been playing at a DP level. We've spoken many times that uh, we're not getting that money's worth, especially when he's the highest played pair, uh, player in uh, MLS. So, um, the, and, and I don't blame him for not wanting to, you know, take a lower amount. Um, if I was, uh, you know, world player of the year and uh, uh, had the career that he did, um, I, I might feel that um, I'm worth more than that also, uh, especially when his heart um, not to say that he doesn't love Orlando and that he hasn't enjoyed his time here, but uh, uh, he didn't say it, but I'll say it. Uh, it's very likely that we'll find him uh, at Sao Paulo and, uh, you know, where he started out and he'll go down and finish his career there. But uh, who knows? He did leave it open. He might come back here as some sort of a, a coach or, you know, director of something. Who knows? I mean, we, we could see uh, – Kaka and and some form of purple again, but uh, I, I'm not surprised, and I think it's also, I think it's best for the team and for the club. Yeah, so don't say anything mean, people, that you can't take back later, because he might come back uh, to the club in the future <laughs> and uh, in some capacity. Uh, I let's just get this out there: he is not going to make seven million dollars next year unless China comes calling. Uh, right. it's just, he's just, he's 35 years old. Uh, we've seen the decline a little bit in his pace, a little bit in how his body holds up, uh, when healthy and, and, um, you know, and, and feeling it, he's as good a midfielder as there, as there is in MLS. Um, but those days are really, um, not coming often enough. And, and you and I have talked about the DP slots on this team before and how, uh, really, the club has not made good use of them over the years. They started out with a philosophy of, of having young DPs uh, to go along with Kaká, and that didn't really work as Brian Rochas did not pan out in any way, shape, or form. Carlos Rivas has not played like a DP. And, you know, I think you can make an argument that Kaká played 
for two years like a DP, but he did not turn in a DP performance uh, in 2017. Um, when he was healthy, he, he I mean, he still, if you look at his numbers, he turned in a decent year, but certainly not DP level year uh, with, um, you know, with what he's accomplished this year. So uh, he's still capable of, of leading this team in assists. He's still capable of, of being in the top two or three in goal scoring. Uh, but, Again, you you know those DP slots are so valuable, and you look around the league at how people are using them, and you see them being used on guys like Ignacio Piatti, you know, Giovinco, Giovinco, Diego Valeri, uh, Miguel Almiron, uh, Joseph Martinez types. I mean, uh, it's just not what you're what you're getting now out of Kaká is DP level in MLS eight years ago. It's not right. It's not what you need to get from that position now. So um, he's been a really good ambassador for the game and for the club. He's been a good steward of this club. He's been, um, you know, uh, he's done everything that you can do to elevate the, the, the profile of this team, not only in this country, but in his home country of Brazil, where uh, this team is very popular among MLS clubs. And, it's uh, you know he's the first DP and the first captain in, in Orlando City history in MLS, so he's always going to have a, a very historic place in the club's uh, in the club's all-time pantheon. And you know I, I wish him well, and and I hope he he does well and, and lands on his feet and has a, a good season or two, however much time he's got left in the game. At age 35, there's not much time left. So yeah. um, you know I, I would say a, it, it was a very good. Um, decision on management's part to to recognize look we have good friendships with kaka but we have a responsibility to the club and we cannot give this guy seven million dollars again for for 2018 we have to uh be realistic pay him what what we believe he's worth in you know in this league in in this market and uh in at the end you know kaka's decision was to turn that down and you know uh you got to respect the decision absolutely and and you know like i said all of this of what we're saying of you know it's best for the club and and the that you know management recognizes that and we agree with it is not to take anything away from what he's done in his time here and like you said i mean you know being the ambassador that he was and um you know the great amount of respect that i have for him not only as a player but also as a leader and um you know the fact that he he you know he didn't get up there and and you know bitch about having a uh you know a low uh contract extension offered to him you know he he simply said you know it's time for me to go and then he he you know, thanked everybody from everybody from management to the, to the fans. So, um, you know, a ton of respect for, you know, how he, how he did that and how he, you know, allowed that end to play out. It, obviously if it would have been nice, if we had known sooner, he could have had the, you know, farewell tour that, you know, sometimes guys like that get, but, uh, we still have the match this weekend and everybody can get out there and, and, uh, you know, do something as far as, uh, um, making it known how much they appreciate everything he's done. Yeah, your last chance to see Kaká will be Sunday uh, at the stadium. He's uh, going to suit up for the game against the Columbus Crew. Uh, we were, you know, it was reported by Alicia Delgallo <clears throat> of the um, Orlando Sentinel that he is not going to make the trip to Philadelphia. So this will be his last uh, game for Orlando City and presumably his last MLS game. Uh, so it's your last chance to see him. A historic event. He's a world player of the year. 
uh, I encourage everybody to go out and uh, and see him. Hopefully he'll get the start and and maybe uh, he'll get that curtain call at the end at where he gets subbed out late, uh, so he can get the the ovation that he deserves from the fans that have watched him these past three years. And um, absolutely, it's it, it is you, you mentioned. I mean, he's such he's such a non superstar acting superstar. I mean, he's one, he's one of the most recognized faces in all of the world. He can go to any airport in the world, and people will mob him. Um, but yet, after today's uh, press conference, he individually thanked every you know writer, every every television person, every media member that was there uh, for covering him over the last few years. So uh, just you know, just an unbelievable dude, and you got to root for people like that. And uh, you know, I, I see it's I kind of chuckle because I get. You know, you see people talk about he's 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 uh, pampered, he's uh, a baby, he's uh, egotistical, or this that, and you go, man, that's not the guy that I've been covering for the last few years. Uh, yeah, certainly that doesn't describe him at all. He's he is as real as real gets uh, for a guy that makes obscene amounts of money. So, um, you know, maybe he will use some of that money to buy into the club and and become a club member, uh, uh, you know, or club owner. Uh, along with, uh, you know, his good friend Flavio uh, in the future. That's certainly something that's uh, possible. He wants to have a future in the game after his playing days are done, and uh, certainly he'd be welcome to do that here. He'd be, again, a fine ambassador for the club, and he'd represent the team very well. Yeah, that would be that would be absolutely fantastic to have him in that sort of uh, capacity. Um, so, I, you know, we... we we wish him well, you know, he's obviously not going to be going to another MLS team. So, um, you know, wherever he goes, he's not going to hurt us any. Um, and that uh, that $7 million is going to get, going to have the opportunity to be spent in a lot of different ways that uh, that we've talked about before. Yeah, I mean, he's not hurting for money with endorsements and, and all the money he's made throughout his career playing uh, in Europe and, and here. He's... Uh, you know he's he went to uh, he he went to to college right here in town to take some uh, sports business classes too. So uh, he he wants to have a, a future after the game, and uh, I think he will. I think he'll he'll do well with whatever he does. And um, uh, you know, good luck, Kaka. Uh, we will we will miss you in purple, and uh, we will watch the rest of your career from afar. Uh, and um, and you know, and hope for the best. Uh, so. Kaka, his last game is Sunday against the crew. He he is reportedly also going to be at the Puerto Rico uh, friendly after the season. So uh, if you don't happen to be able to make it to the crew uh, Orlando City game on Sunday, you can you can come out and see him in the in the friendly to raise money for Puerto Rico. And that you know being sticking around for that game is such a caca thing to do too. It's like, you know, he, he realizes that there will be some people that are interested in seeing him play and that might, uh, you know, get a few more dollars in for, uh, for hurricane relief for Puerto Rico. So, uh, again, just a one final gesture of, of, uh, goodwill from a, a guy who's been nothing but class his entire uh, time here in Orlando. Absolutely. All right, Dave, uh, speaking of the Orlando city, Soccer club. Uh, you might remember a couple of weeks ago playing that team from Dallas called FC Dallas mm-hmm. and how they were big, uh, big fat cheater heads and uh, decided to play somebody who was not eligible to play in that game. Uh, one Michael Barrios, who reportedly had a minor foot injury. But so he was he was taken out of the starting lineup after the uh, 
you know, the lineups had been turned into the referee and to both coaches. And, uh, you know, once you are on that and that you are not able to go on and start, you are not supposed to be on the team. You're you're not supposed to be in the team for the game and, you know, in the in the 18. So he was he was put on the bench for some reason. And, uh, you know, later in the game, uh, they put Barrios in and he helped them earn a point. I would like to point out that FC Dallas is currently in the last Western Conference playoff position, one point ahead of two other teams. Uh, since we last spoke, MLS, in its infinite wisdom, has decided that they're not going to do what every other sanctioning body in the entire world would do when you use an ineligible player. From, from FIFA World Cup games all the way down to your U-12 daughter's game, uh, which would be to rule a forfeit for the uh, against the team that used the ineligible player, and and it's basically a three nil win for the team that went that you know that uh, accepts the forfeit, uh, you know, and, and wins the game uh, by forfeit. And in this case, MLS just fined Dallas some allocation money and uh, and I think 25k on top of the allocation money and said, uh, yeah, don't do that anymore. And so FC Dallas said, oh, no, we won't. We won't. Thank you very much for not taking away our point in a very uh, tight Western Conference playoff race. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, what that did by, you know, not doing what any other sanctioning body would do and ordering the forfeit uh, or ruling the forfeit, MLS uh, basically killed Orlando's chances, uh, slim though they were, of catching New York Red Bulls. New York Red Bulls won over the weekend and eliminated Orlando City. And you know you got to protect those those poor New York teams because they never catch a break. You got to make no. sure, you got to make sure they're protected from the the big mean, uh, huge market clubs like Orlando City, <laughs> and uh, you know <laughs> uh, protect those those little guys uh, in the small markets like New York. Uh, it, it's um, I think you can tell by my sarcasm how much disdain I have at the league for this ruling. Look if if. You are falling short of the bar set by FIFA, then you are obviously doing something incredibly wrong. FIFA is one of the most corrupt organizations in the entire world, and MLS couldn't even meet their standard for fairness. That, uh, I don't, you know, I, there's nothing to say about that other than good. Golly, how the heck – it's it's exactly why you say protecting those bigger markets, not caring one little bit about uh, little old Orlando and, and what we've tried to do down here. Um, and what – I'm not surprised at all that that's what happened. No, I actually no. expected that. That's exactly yeah. what I expected to happen. I would have been shocked if they had done the right thing. So, I mean, let's let's not – think that I'm sitting over here like, you know, uh, you know, fanning myself like uh, you know, a Southern Bell in the, uh, during the uh, Civil War era. I, I, you know, I knew that this was going to happen, but... Uh, yeah, we're on record. It was on the it was on the, the, the podcast. La- yeah, I think it was on the last podcast we, we said that. So, but it, to to do it and to do it with a straight face and, and you know, it's... It's disheartening is what it is. Even though you expect it, you still, you know, you hope that somebody steps up and does the right thing. They don't. Um, good on Jason Christ for calling them out on it too. I mean, because 
if if I was him and I was in his position, I would be absolutely livid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll live it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, in the end, you're, you know, we we expected it. We said MLS going to MLS. They did. Um, you know, Jason Christ had his, uh, you know, moment of, of, of you know, honesty of, in telling what, exactly what he thought of the ruling. Uh, we've heard from Mike Petke, uh, the RSL's head coach. His team is affected by this in the race in the Western Conference. Uh, there was, um, you know, some remarks by some Houston Dynamo officials about it. And it's just amazing because uh, Paul Tenorio, a good friend of the podcast who broke the story, uh, he said his sources said that they felt in the end that MLS felt the it wouldn't be fair to teams that were that were not part of the game to be, you know, to have the points uh, affected. But basically, by not ruling the forfeit, you have affected the Western Conference race because right now FC Dallas would not be above the line. And so you've already made you've made a decision that's already affected the race uh, going into the last couple games of the season. And you've also eliminated Orlando city by, by uh, making this ruling. So at the time that the ruling came out, Orlando city would not uh, have been eliminated. Uh, They would have been, they were eliminated when the red bulls won had they, uh, because Orlando city would have been two points back of New York. So now Orlando city would still be alive, uh, barely, uh, five points back of the New York Red Bulls with two games each to play. So Orlando City would have to win the last two games, home against the Crew and at Philadelphia, not impossible. Nope. Uh, and they would have to hope that New York Red Bulls lost at home to Atlanta. And uh, I forget where the Red Bulls finished the season. They, they they have a home game against uh, Atlanta. I believe they're on the road as well against uh, somebody, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It doesn't matter anyway because it's all said and done. The Eastern Conference playoff spots have all been uh, locked up with two games to play. Uh, so uh, way to take away all the drama in the Eastern Conference MLS, way to uh, create way more drama than there should be in the West, and a way to just uh, not do something that everybody else literally in the entire world would have done when using an ineligible player. We've seen it before. We've seen it happen in the uh, Gold Cup uh, with uh, Florent Maluda playing. We have seen it in uh, the U.S. Open Cup recently with when this uh, semi-pro team amateur club uh, right up the road, the Villages, uh, had a huge upset against a USL team, against a, a good USL team in the U.S. Open Cup last year. And it was ruled that they used a, a player that had played like six months earlier and he'd played like six minutes at the end of a game for another team in the same competition. So that was overturned. I think it was against the Charleston Battery. And then they got to go on and, and, and even though they lost their game, they got to go on because of the forfeit. So everybody rules ineligible players to be a forfeit except Major League Soccer. Well, and, in this occurrence, because... <clears throat> <laughs> As we said last week, if it was going the other way, I'm pretty sure they would have ruled differently. Even Alexi Lawless said that they ruled wrong on this. I mean, come on. Well, I haven't seen a single uh, person outside of maybe a Red Bulls fan uh, or an FC Dallas fan that feels that this was justice. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it's a screw job, but we're used to that. We've You're seen them. Definitely getting used to that. We've yeah. seen them time and time again. It's nothing new, uh, you know. 
and um, <laughs> we move on. We laugh, we move on, we shake our heads. I was going to talk about uh, one thing next, but I'm going to end up actually dovetailing into our OCB uh, coverage next because we talked about the poor New York market and how it's been protected by the league. Uh, OCB hosted New York Red Bulls too, uh, over the week weekend. And, um, it was a crazy game and OCB did not play well for most of that game. They were terrible. And, uh, they, they played a strong lineup, but a lineup of guys who hadn't played a lot of minutes recently, like Earl Edwards Jr. Who's been sitting on the bench for the, for the MLS team, uh, PC who hasn't played a lot of minutes, uh, and, and various other, um, players that were, you know, MLS USL sort of borderline guys. Mm-hmm. So they went out and they fell behind by a five to one score. Uh, and then they started scoring goals and unfortunately they gave up one more to make it six uh, after they had scored a couple to pull within a couple goals. Uh, but they ended up pulling all the way to within six, five David Rowe. And in this six, five game against the New York Red Bulls two, uh, there were seven second half goals three player changes, numerous fouls, a penalty for each team, uh-huh. and uh, several injury timeouts uh, for guys that took various knocks. And would you like to guess how many injury minutes were added to the end of this game against the or- the New York Red Bulls too? Well, given all of those things that you said, it would seem to me that a logical uh, amount of time would be somewhere in the I, uh, Six, seven minutes? Uh, surely that's what it was, yes? Two minutes, Dave. Two. Two minutes. Two minutes of stoppage time was added. And I will add this, that Orlando City B scored in the 91st and 92nd minutes of that game. And there were only still about 15 extra seconds added to the to the game. It was unbelievable. Uh, Orlando City B was just... Um, throwing people at the net and the ball just kept going in and kept going in and the game got closer and closer. And you would think that if there were six minutes of stoppage time, Orlando city B might draw that game or even win it the way they were going. And uh, they might be above the playoff line in the USLC Eastern conference. Not so they uh, came up. The rally came up just short. They lost six, five in the highest scoring uh, OCB game ever. And uh, they, uh, dr- dropped below the, uh, the the playoff line. They are in ninth place in the Eastern Conference with one game remaining. Uh, they did get a little bit of help uh, from the Rochester Rhinos last night as the Rhinos defeated Bethlehem Steel 1-0. So Bethlehem did not pull out of sight. And uh, Orlando City B, with one game left, could finish anywhere from 6th to ninth in the table. They need to beat... The Tampa Bay Rowdies on Thursday night. That'll be tonight as this thing drops. Uh, And uh, they'll have to, if they beat the Rowdies, they will temporarily be uh, above the line and above uh, a couple other teams. Uh, And then they'll have to wait for all the results this weekend. Now, Bethlehem will, uh, I believe they have uh, St. Louis FC at home, which is probably not that difficult an opponent. New York Red Bulls go to the Rochester Rhinos. That is a game the Rhinos could win. FC Cincinnati is the other team that's in there. FC Cincinnati, I believe, is at Toronto FC, too, which they should handle. But it is a road game, so you never really know. Um, They basically are in a position where they need 
one of those three teams to lose, and they need to win. They can't get in with a draw, because if they draw, they pull level for the last playoff spot, but they the first tiebreaker in USL is not goal differential, which would help OCB. Right. It is wins. They have fewer, ah. fewer wins because of all those draws they had this year. So uh, really the only path for OCB, the Young Lions, to get into the playoffs is to beat the hated Tampa Bay Rowdies at home in the home finale and uh, hope that they get one of those other teams to lose, either Cincinnati, uh, New York Red Bulls 2, or um, Bethlehem Steel, the most likely of those three to lose would be New York Red Bulls two at Rochester Rhinos. Rochester is very good at home, but uh, New York Red Bulls two have played very well of late. In fact, they scored six goals against Earl Edwards Jr. So, um, you know, it's it's it was a crazy game. Anthony Pulis would not comment about the amount of stoppage time added because he doesn't want to get in trouble with the league and get fined. Uh, so who can blame him for that? Uh, he was very upset with the way his team came out. He made a really great adjustment at halftime. He took PC out um, because PC, let's face it, he was having a terrible game. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also Connor Donovan, who had not played well in the first half. And, and he and Zach Carroll had really played well together in recent weeks, but he really struggled in that first half, and he picked up a yellow card as well. So uh, Connor came out. Timbo went in at center back. Uh, which Timbo giveth and Timbo taketh away. He scored a goal <laughs> in the game, but he also gave up a penalty. Um, so it, it kind of uh, it kind of cr- you know canceled each other out. Uh, and Kevin Alston went in at fullback for PC. So uh, it really kind of settled the team down some. Uh, New York was still kind of all over them for about the first 15 minutes of that second half, but the tide started to turn. And man, did OCB really play well down the stretch. They uh, you know, Pulis even, he wasn't even afraid to take out Pierre De Silva, who wasn't playing well. He's like, okay, well, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta get points here. And he, he took out the, the three guys that were not playing well. And, uh, everything he did was, um, you know, was a move that worked, but unfortunately the hole was just, uh, too deep for the young lions and they, uh, they fall at home six, five. Well, it was, it was too deep of a hole for, uh, two minutes of stoppage time, uh, it would have been, you know, <laughs> proper amount of stoppage time. It may not have been too deep of a hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, so what we're saying is, is that uh, if they can beat the, the hated Rowdies tonight, uh, this drops that uh, you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they've they got to beat it. But here's the thing, though. if Even if they win that game, how nerve wracking will it be for Ant Pulis all weekend? Because there's two games Saturday and one Sunday that uh, could affect his season. So, um, yeah. It, it's uh, it's it's going to be nerve wracking, but it all has to start with a win because anything less than that, and OCB is on the outside looking in this year, and uh, and that's too bad because they've they've really done a lot of good things uh, considering the fact that they've changed lineups about every single game. Uh, Pulis has done a really nice job with them. They they also didn't have Jordan Schweitzer over the weekend because he was called up to the Canadian national team. Um, and uh, I don't think he played, but he actually was called up. So that was nice. It was good for Jordan and, uh, you know, a nice feather in his cap. And hopefully he'll get more looks from the Canadian national team. But uh, OCB did not have a good weekend. And, um, you know, you move on. The, 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 the scoring was just spread out. Timbo had a goal. Haji Berry had a goal. Um, 
Zach Carroll had a goal. Lewis Neal had a goal. I forget who had the other one. There were some. There were five goal scorers. So uh, it was uh, it was a team effort for sure at trying to get back. I think Austin Martz had the other one. Austin Martz uh, was the one who came on for Pierre De Silva, and he really injected some life uh, with his uh, with his fresh legs. Late, he was he you know he's a speedy guy already, and he works hard. And so when he came on against the tired Red Bulls te- team, he was he was just uh, really a lot to handle. In fact. He had another shot that was cleared off the line, and um, uh, Michael Cox had a point-blank shot that he had that went over the net. Uh, Haji Berry wanged a shot that was, uh, you know, he got into the box and had a clear look at goal and didn't put it on frame. And so, I mean, even despite the fact that they scored five goals, they probably left that game thinking should have had eight. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. an exciting game. <laughs> It was it was definitely an exciting second half. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, look, uh, the, here's what I don't want to hear from anybody. Um, if and when they don't make the playoffs, I don't want to hear anybody calling for Ant's head. Okay, he's done a exceptional job this year with this team. Um, you know, any if if I went out to any fan and I said, "Hey, OCB scored five goals." What would you think that the uh, the scoreline would have been? I would have thought if you would have told me before the game OCB scores five tonight, I would have said, all right, Red Bull's a pretty decent team. They gave Tampa a game over in Tampa the few days earlier. I'll say 5-2 uh, to OCB. That's what I would have thought. And if I had told you that Earl Edwards <laughs> Jr. was back in goal, you would have that would have made it even more so. Now, obviously, you know, Jr. had a, a – off night for him although to be fair a lot of those shots that um new york scored on were just pinpoint so oh yeah they they didn't miss a thing i mean they were hitting volleys into upper 90 with pace Uh, i thought there was one goal maybe that that earl would have liked to have had back and there was another goal that happened off of a save that he made that he would have liked to have had back because he left the rebound in a spot that he didn't want to but uh, other than that, I mean, it was uh, not so much bad Earl Edwards Jr. as it was just precise shooting by New York. Right. So, I mean, it's – it's. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is if the, the team goes out there, they score five goals. Um, you know, Earl Edwards doesn't have a, a actual bad game if you look at the shots that were uh, fired at his goal. It's, it's, it's disappointing, but you can't be – you can't be upset with the squad. I mean, to, to come back that hard. There was no quit at all. There was no quit. I mean, you go down that much. I mean, that can that can take everything out of a team. But to not quit, to work the way, way back, scoring two goals in the stupid little amount of stoppage that there was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, they were going for it that entire second half. And so, you know, good for them. I, it's... It's disappointing, but I, I still felt it was impressive. For me, if if you look at how a team performs in a game like that, it te- it says a lot about the coaching staff. If for them to have had nothing, no reason. I mean, obviously they want to make the playoffs, but when you're down five to one, basically ninety nine percent of the time teams pack it in. There was no packing it in. They just kept coming, yeah, and uh, and kept trying new things and and pushing forward and, and getting chances and creating chances. And, and they got even got better defensively. I mean, they really didn't give up too many chances in the second half. They, they got caught on a counter and, and Timbo, um, you know, tried to make a tackle and, and, and got the player instead. It was uh, unfortunate because that 
you know, ended up being the sixth goal and the winning goal. But it, it was really something to see. Uh, I really like what I've seen from Ant Pulis in terms of this year making adjustments at halftime. Yeah. And uh, something that I think he's done rather well is is, uh, is use his personnel. I think when he's uh, when he sees something out there where somebody's not quite working properly, uh, you know, or having an off night, he he seems to identify it by halftime or just just after maybe if he gives him a little pep talk at halftime and gives him a, you know 10 minutes or so to try to get it going he, he tends to to find the problem and try to fix it uh in game and I, I think that's a testament to a good coach and i i'm i'm really glad that he's here because he could he could go you know anywhere and, and play or and, and coach for a team that you know, isn't a B team, isn't a reserve side that, that could, sure. could win the title, that kind of, you know, uh, a Rochester or, a, you know, a, I mean, even Tampa Bay, quite frankly, even though that uh, hurts me to say, um, or San Antonio or teams like that. He could go coach for teams like that and be successful and get a lot of wins. And then you get noticed when you win. Uh, when you get in the playoffs and you win championships, you get noticed by higher leagues, and then you you know that leads to more lucrative offers. I, I don't think I don't think Ant Pulis will be at OCB much longer because I think he is being recognized by other coaches in the profession as a as a good coach, and I think he's you know people are taking notice of the the development that his players are undergoing, the fact that he can make these tactical uh, changes and and you know. It, the, just the fact that the team didn't quit on him and kept pushing hard uh, says a lot. And, I, you know, I can't say enough good things about Ant Pulis. Now, is he ready for the next step? I mean, who knows? We won't know until somebody hires him and he takes that step. So, um, you know, good on him. And I hope for his sake, uh, if nothing else, that uh, OCB uh, can get the win against Tampa and, uh, and get a little luck and get in the playoffs. Well, we want the win against Tampa regardless of what happens. Uh, right, right. You know, that's, you know, it, getting into the playoffs will be uh, icing on the cake. But uh, let's, you know, everybody show up. It's it's the freaking Derby. Go out there and watch this thing and just, you know, root for the, the, the young Lions. I mean, what else are you going to do tonight? Probably. <laughs> I mean, you know. It's, it's a Thursday. Not, what are you going to do? Thursday. What are you going to do? I mean, it's yeah, not nothing. like, you know, there's no concerts. Go out and watch the match. Come on. It's not like the old days when you had Seinfeld and Cheers. Right. Uh, it's not like, the, yeah, I mean, you know, you're not. You're friends, not must-see TV. Right. That's <laughs> no longer Thursday. So get out there and, yeah. and go watch a team that's played their hearts out. Absolutely. And, yeah. That's, um, I'm, I, I'll go off on a rant if I say any more. All right. Speaking of going to games, Dave, I went to a game on Friday. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was an amazing experience. It was my first time ever seeing the United States men's national team in person. Uh, I have been to a women's national team game, but had never been to uh, number one. I'd never been to a World Cup qualifier, and number two, I'd never been to see the U.S. men's national team. And it was really everything I could have dreamed. I got you know I got dressed up in the red, white, and blue. I tailgated a little bit, went to the game, got a got an American Outlaws scarf uh, hanging with the American Outlaws. Got into the uh, stadium and, um, you know, got to see Christian Pulisic, uh, Pulisic uh, just absolutely dominate. Uh, Bobby Wood was very good. Josie Altador was phenomenal. And uh, the U.S. blew Panama off the pitch. It was really great to see. Oh, they and, put on a show. 
uh, Orlando, uh, Orlando City Stadium was full. It was rocking. It was loud. Uh, I don't know how it came across on TV, but uh, it was it was quite loud, and it was uh, just a really really fun night. Uh, it came across fantastic on TV, um, and people couldn't stop talking about it. Uh, between the men's national team players to Bruce Arena to the commentators, everybody was saying how great of an atmosphere that Orlando City Stadium and the fans that showed up. Uh, for the the match were, uh, you know, and we've seen other places in this country where that has not been the case, where mm-hmm. it's it's not been like a home match for uh, for the squad, you know, where you know uh, it's the while the outlaws may have shown up, you had you know a lot of, uh, of fans of the other team show up as well, and and it just whether it was the stadium itself or or who showed up, it, <laughs> it just it didn't it didn't help. Yeah. Everything came together in that match, and it was a glorious thing to see. I can only imagine how much fun you had while you were there, and uh, completely jealous of you on that one. Um, but it was nuts, uh, man! It was nuts. I, we met a met. A, I was with uh, Scott Carnival, uh, mainland writer Scott Carnival, before the game, and also uh, former mainland writer Austin David, who is who has actually hosted this podcast before. Um, he, uh, or the three of us, we met uh, a guy from American Outlaws, Savannah, Georgia chapter, which was uh, which was pretty cool. We had a nice conversation with him before the game. And, uh, and then, you know, we just made our way inside and none of us were sitting together, but we all made our way inside and it was, it was just a really great atmosphere. It was fun. The team was just really gelling. I mean, Panama is a team that's typically parking the bus, hard to break down, especially on the road. And it really just seemed, uh, almost, almost unflattering for the U S to only score four goals in that game because they really, uh, could have had a few more, but, um, uh, you know, Pulisic was good, and uh, uh, it was the the cool thing was we got to introduce the entire country to uh, the "Ref Belongs on OBT" chant. Uh, <laughs> so there were a lot of Orlando-based folks there. There was probably about a 75 to 80 percent U.S. fan to Panama fan uh, ratio, so it did have that home feel. It didn't have the you know like we saw with the Red Bulls, uh, mm-hmm. Red Bull Arena. Uh, not too long ago, where it felt more like a road game. This felt like a home game, and I, I think it bodes well for not only Orlando becoming, um, you know, a potential World Cup host uh, for the bid for 2026, uh, but also uh, getting more qualifiers in the future. Oh, without a doubt, and um, I'm not sure that Bruce Arena is going to have anything to say about it going forward. But uh, he, he <laughs> certainly, he certainly. Uh, uh, after the after that match, said that uh, he was very impressed and he hoped that that venue would be used um, for qualifying rounds and and other you know U.S. Uh, games. So uh, as did you know many players, including you know Dax McCarty, who of course you know grew up nearby. Um, he was blown away with it. You know he he I guess he's been away for a while. He hadn't realized how uh, how big soccer culture had gotten in O Town and uh, um, you know. But yeah, it's. You felt so great after the game and everything you read, um, you know, no matter what you read about that game, they always did mention the atmosphere. Yeah, it was it was a nice moment, too, when Dax was introduced because he was recognized and and welcomed very warmly uh, by the crowd. And uh, it was nice to see. It was it was really great. Um, 
So uh, a lot of goodwill was built up on Friday, a 4-0 win over Panama. The team climbs into the third spot and then went to Trinidad. Which surely, I mean, because it's Trinidad, right? No problem. So here, yeah? here's what had to happen. So, you know, the U.S. had to go down and all they needed was a, a win would clinch, a draw would more or less clinch because the other uh, teams, Honduras and, and Panama, that were chasing would have had to make up uh, sizable goal differentials, especially Honduras. Okay. And uh, Honduras and Panama were at home, but they were playing the top two teams in CONCACAF in Mexico and Costa Rica. So, you know, they needed a result against those two teams. So surely the United States, Mexico, and Costa Rica are not all losing on the same day, right? We had to have – it had to be like a 93% chance that we were going to make the World Cup, right? Yeah, it was it was high. It was high. it was a high chance, and um, unfortunately, Tim Howard was drunk during the game because I can't think of any other explanation <laughs> for what happened in that game. Um, you know, early on, you get the own goal from Omar Gonzalez, and it it was atrocious clearance, but still, the thing popped way up in the air, and it was just like Tim didn't know where he was on the pitch. Like, where is that goal behind me? Uh, because he certainly looked like he had ample room to back up another step or two and, and knock that over the bar, but he didn't. He just completely misplayed it. It's in the net. It's 1-0, and you're like, oh, crap. All right, well, not a big deal. 1-0. We can, we can overcome that. So a few minutes later, uh, Jones takes a crack from, I don't know, uh, a Tobago, I guess. Uh, and because it was pretty far away and it's like, okay, uh, that should be no problem. It's in the damn net. Uh, what the hell, Tim Howard? It was like, he didn't see it at first. It was taking a wicked curve. I don't know, but it was just like, it, it almost like looked like he thought he had the angle perfectly handled and there was no way it could get him behind him. And pfft, it was behind him. So it's two nothing. So did and, he forget his contacts or something? I don't know. And, and I tell you, there was a free kick not long after that that the guy buzzed in and uh, from a pretty good way out, probably about the same distance, it bounced in front of Tim and Tim didn't bother catching it. He chested it, and the thing squirted sideways. It could have gone anywhere, and then none, none of the defenders bothered to like follow up the kick. So it was basically Tim out on an island trying to keep the ball away from uh, an attacker, and he ended up having to give up a corner out of it. It was just, it was just the drunkest start to a game that I can remember uh, for the United States men's national team. It was, it was like, you know, who are these people that are wearing the uniform? Because they're not, they can't, they can't possibly. They have to be like, you know, the body doubles for these guys. They can't be the real actual players. Um, all right, so it, then they, they put in the real Christian Pulisic. They put in the real Josie Altidore. <laughs> they put in the, the real Bobby Wood. What happened next? Well, see, that's the thing is I don't think that we ever saw the real Altidore. He did not look to me to be any good at all uh, throughout the match. Uh, Pulisic uh, actually did do some good things and scored the goal um, in the second half to, to cut that lead in half. And it was early enough. You thought, well, okay, here we go. Here we, you know, we're going to get back in this thing. Uh, but then, you know, you get a post, you get two fingertip saves um, from point blank range. Uh, every time a ball went in the air, it was just a free kick for uh, Trinidad and Tobago because uh, Bobby Wood apparently can foul people with his mind. 
Uh, every time that two players bumped into each other, a Trinidad player just decided to flop on the floor, and uh, they were, oh, well, there's a guy down. It must be a foul on, on Bobby Wood. Um, I can only imagine how many uh, ref belongs on OBT chance we would have gotten uh, for that performance. So... Uh, Dave, long and short of it is, the the U.S. men's national team went to Trinidad and Tobago and got beat by uh, by Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, I I don't even think they, I think they could have probably drawn Tobago, but I don't think they could have even just beaten just Trinidad uh, on that particular evening. Uh, that's how bad they were. Uh, I thought that uh, Pulisic uh, played well. I you know not as well as we've seen him play, but I don't think he was getting a lot of help. Right. Uh, I thought he I thought he played hard. I thought Dempsey played well when he came in in the second half. Dempsey um, had a lot of uh, when he came in. He 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 looked other than Christian. He looked like the only guy that that really wanted to do something. Yeah, and and I thought that Bobby Wood worked hard, but he didn't get anything out of that work. Uh, I don't think anybody else played well at all in any phase of the game. I thought that especially bad uh, was um, I thought Nagby was especially bad. I thought yep. Omar Gonzalez was especially bad, gave up the own goal, and was lucky not to give up a penalty shortly after that. Uh, I didn't think Yedlin played worth a damn. Uh, I didn't think Bradley played well, although he, he probably will take more grief than he probably deserves for that game because he was definitely not the worst. Um, it, you know, But for my money, I would have taken Nagby off in the first half. He was so bad. But I, I really honestly, I said this, I tweeted this, that my first sub would have been spent on the goalkeeper, and I really would have taken Howard out after that second goal because it was just – it was two horrific goals. And, you know, who knows how many more Trinidad's going to rain in on him. Well, and Guzan was showing a lot more spirit on the sideline than anybody on the field was. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty bad. And, and, you know, it was okay, though, because for most of the game, Mexico was winning, Costa Rica was winning, and then – you know, then all of a sudden, okay, both teams are tied, but you're looking at the standards. You're going, okay, they still are in, or they're at least in the fourth position for a playoff, so everything's still okay. And then at the end of the game, then Mexico goes behind on a goal off the back of Ochoa's head. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Panama had tied the game on a goal that didn't even cross the line, Dave. <sighs> because CONCACAF ain't not going to CONCACAF. Mexico and Costa Rica, you had one job. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're shedding any tears over the United no, States. No, they're not. They, they're probably laughing about it. Uh, they I mean, they Zuzi, lost and are laughing. Zussi got Mexico in. They owed us one. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they did not deliver. So um, pretty pretty upset with them, and I'm really not uh, – really hoping that they don't win in the group stage a single game. Um at this point, because uh, not happy with them, but uh, also just not happy with the U.S. Uh, there was just a lack of respect for their opponent. There was no sense of urgency with, with a World Cup qualifying spot on the line. They thought they could just show up in Trinidad and win that game. And you saw the few players that actually gave a damn, uh, you know, were the ones that I mentioned. Pilsic, uh, Dempsey, and, and Wood were the only guys that really looked like they gave a damn in that game. And, and they can only do so much individually. Very disappointing. It's a team game, and there was just no team out there. It was just uh, a couple guys, and, uh, you know, I don't, again, I, I don't know what was going on with that team, but I can tell you I've never seen Nagby look that bad. I've never seen uh, Tim Howard look that bad. Yeah. Um, and, and I think uh, it's, 
it's curtains for a lot of those guys because now they're going to have to blow this whole thing up. Oh, everybody. All right. So essentially, um, Christian can stay and then we build a team around him. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I've heard people say, well, nobody over the age of 26 should play another uh, competitive game for the U.S. again. I don't know that I agree with that. I think there's some guys that could still be helpful in developing some of these other. You can't just put all U20s and U23s out there. Um, no. But yeah, right. there's there's definitely got to be more uh, of a wide open uh, talent search. There's got to be a uh, an end to the the guys who just coast because they have been there before. There's no reason uh, for Chris Wondolowski to ever be on the team again. There's no reason uh, for for uh, Omar Gonzalez to ever be on the team again. Tim Howard's 37 years old. He's not going to be around by the next uh, World Cup cycle that that the U.S. is eligible to, to compete for. Um, Frankly, I, there was no reason for Wando to be out there the last couple times he's been out there. True. I mean, let, al- let alone going forward. What has he done meaningfully for the for the U.S. team other than a couple of Gold Cup goals? Nothing. Right. I mean, he's just not. He's never been really good at the international level. No. And nobody has anything but bad memories of his. Of his miss, so uh, you, know, you know, I mean, the miss alone isn't isn't the reason. The fact that he hasn't been effective is the reason. And if you bring guys that you know are not going to get in the game, unless I don't know, two, three other guys get hurt, then why are they even on the team, really? I, I'm okay with Guzan staying while we develop whoever the next great goalie is going to be. Um, obviously, Yedlin um, should should be out there. Christian Pulisic, um, you know. Uh, I'm even okay during a transitional period with some of the other guys like, you know, uh, you know, Dempsey and, uh, Bradley. Um, I, and given what Bobby's woods done recently, as far as his, his energy, his pace is, you know, heart, I'm okay with him staying. And then, like I said, a couple other guys for development, but, but I mean, yeah, there's so many other guys that just, that they don't need to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bruce Arena was brought in for one reason, and that was to make it to the World Cup. Well, guess what? He didn't do that. Yeah, well, he was never going to be along. He was a stopgap guy that that Sunil Gulati hired. Is he's going to be the guy oh. who's going to bring in, stabilize things, get him to the, get him to through qualifying, get him to Russia, and then we'll evaluate. Okay, and, well, and there's that, another and find that next coach. But now they have they have to move that timetable up, and and Gulati needs to be gone too. Yeah, Gulati is the guy who who hired both of the coaches that put the U.S. in this spot. So, and also, you know, incidentally, really irritated the crap out of our national women's team. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's 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 part of the problem. But I, I think this this whole organization, I think Taylor Twelman said it best. They've got to look at this from an entire system, from from the yep. youth system to the domestic league to the national team setup and at every level changes need to be addressed and they need to be made and everything needs to be evaluated and they have to have a plan and they have to find the right people to put that plan into place and they have to make sure they stick with that plan uh kind of what germany did with their 10-year plan and they 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 won the world cup they won so, the world cup yeah uh, I'm for just hiring all the people that worked in Germany and just hiring for the same positions here. You know what? Uh, as a <laughs> uh, as a German American, I'm okay with that. 
uh, as a matter of fact, I even, I even joked, uh, you know, in my despair after the uh, after the match, uh, you know, a friend of mine texted me and he's like, he goes, who do I root for now? I said, I don't know about you, but I'm rooting for Germany because, you know, I'm part German. So uh, that's what I'm doing now. Because what else are you going to do? I don't Can't know. I'm on Team us. Iceland. Nice. I, I'm on Team Iceland because they're the the smallest com- country that's uh, that's made the uh, made the tournament. And you know uh, what? I they will... have some really cool names, and they do that Viking uh, chop thing, that Viking clap. So I, I can I can get behind that. <laughs> I can I can absolutely. I, you know, since it's not my home team, I can root for multiple teams. I, yeah. I, count me in on uh, Iceland as well. Yeah, they were they were fun in the. Uh, in the uh, Euros, and also, you know, both of my country nationality countries are in uh, England and Italy, so there'll be some things for me to watch. But, I mean, I'm not going to be as following it as closely as I would if the U.S. was in it. And I don't of course think not. That, I don't think that anyone in this country is. I think Fox is not going to get what they wanted out of the. They'll get plenty of eyeballs, but they won't oh. get the numbers they would have gotten. No, they they most certainly won't. Um, there won't be watch parties. Uh, for American Outlaws, which you know would have happened, there's, I mean, it's a, it's a setback for uh, soccer in America, just on, you know, forget about the actual, um, you know, U.S. national squad level. Mm-hmm. It's a setback for soccer on a public uh, uh, awareness level. Um, you know, the went back when. You know, the last World Cup happened. You had a bunch of people who took notice and went, "Oh, hey, look at this! You know, uh, there's soccer and there's Americans that play soccer." And oh no, well, we have an MLS. Oh my gosh! Um, and you know, it, it garnered a lot of eyeballs. And and then you, you know that was followed up with the uh, the women's national team. So it was a uh, there were things that were building, and this uh, this takes it a step back. It really truly does. I mean. Um, yeah, we still have the women's national team, and and you know they're going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to be great at it. But this uh, this hurts. It really does. It's it's uh, there's really no way to measure how much it costs the game in this country because you know those are eyeballs that are not watching the U.S. team. Even if the U.S. only played its three group games, uh, that's a lot of people that would be inspired to go out and and kick a ball around and yeah and and, uh, and you know join a youth league and that kind of thing and. And, uh, you know, it, it would inspire people to buy tickets to go see their, their MLS or their USL team or their uh, NASL team or their Division Three you know, U3, USL3 or whatever they're calling that thing, league. Um, you know, or even, you know, when people, like, go see the Villages. I mean, because, you know, there are all these semi-pro and amateur teams, too, that are playing that, uh, you know, are out there getting it done every week. So yeah. everybody's got a local team somewhere in this country, and... Uh, you know that they're hurt by this and the u.s is hurt because that's a lot less merchandise they're selling and i mean it just it, there's such a ripple effect by not making the the tournament and uh and it, it's sad but uh hopefully they will respond to this in the in the right way and and i don't want to hear any more arrogant crap from gulati and from arena with you know oh, we don't have to make big changes you're just saying that because your job's at stake well if you know what Arena wasn't going to be there anyway, so guess what? That short-term thing, job that you had there, bud, that's done. You're out. That's fine. Galati, if Galati's not gone, there might be a within the soccer community, U.S. soccer community, there might be a uprising with pitchforks and and torches and things. 
I, if Siggy Schmidt can't get the Galaxy turnaround, Bruce Arena's the next coach of the Galaxy. Yeah, true. Um, anyway, yeah, it's 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 got to be uh, it's got to be taken care of. It's got to be handled properly. If you were the guy in charge of getting this team qualified in Concacaf, essentially a two to three team, uh, feder- you know, confederation with the most money pumped into the program of any team in the confederation, you should step down. You shouldn't wait to be fired. Yeah. Uh, that's just the way it is. And same same with Gulati. I mean, he's responsible too because he's the one that hired and put everything in place. So anyway, I'm irritated, so I'm going to move on. In, uh, in I, I want to hear something good, Dave. So what I'm going to do is we've been threatening to do this forever. Uh, we're gonna we're going to read the re- you know the reviews on iTunes that were you know top reviews and we we got a good one in the last week so I'm gonna all read right it. yeah so uh, of course now they say that I've got to actually find it again and um, and uh, then I can uh, read it because I, I thought I would just uh, open it up and it would be there but of course it uh, so instead, what we'll do is we'll say words <laughs> that will yeah. fill the time while you're doing that. I'm all for filling uh, time, yes. You know, so, and we'll use all those words. All right, Dave. So we have 16, uh, 16 uh, ratings, and we are at a four-and-a-half star rating overall. Nice. Because uh, two jokers gave us one-star ratings because they – they suck because uh, some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> um, we got a, a uh, review on October 4th uh, by David0218. That's uh, not he, me, by the way. That's not, not you. It's David with three Ds on the end, 0218. He gave us a five-star rating, says, Very enjoyable OCSC. This is one of my favorite Orlando City podcasts. These guys do a great job at recapping games, previewing the next ones, and provide great interviews. Always look forward to listening to them every week. Keep up the great work. Thank you, David, for the the kind words. We appreciate that. If you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, we will read it on the air. That is a promise from us. We want you to give us a star rating and uh, leave us reviews, and that's the way we can reach more people. And uh, we, we all want that. Yeah, and as one David to another David, thank you, David. All right, so... David Rowe, we've talked about a lot already. We've been at this for an hour. Well, we, there's we a lot still, that went on. We still have to get to our guest, but before we get to our guest, we have a playoff game to talk about. Wait, we had a playoff game? The Orlando Pride, Dave, went to the uh, the city of Portland, Oregon, and uh, and not for a craft beer festival, surprisingly enough. They had a, a soccer game to play. So the, the Pride, uh, by virtue of winning on the last day against North Carolina... Uh, got to play the stingiest defense in the NWSL <laughs> in uh, on the road in the toughest environment uh, in the NWSL. Uh, Providence Park is always packed for uh, for Thorns games, and uh, the you know the Pride had a, a little bit tougher job because they had no Camilla, uh, who had uh, an ACL and MCL injury, and uh, is going to be out for quite some time. And we'll we'll have a, an update on her condition a little bit later with our special guest, um, but. Uh, it didn't go well really from the get-go. Early on, uh, the Thorns came out with a lot of energy, and they were going to dictate the tempo of that game early. And uh, it uh, really kind of the game um, was one of those games where you just thought, okay, the Pride can just hang in this about 20 minutes, put up with that first wave, deal with it, 
and then uh, settle in, and you know, and, and they'll be able to respond, and then we'll and then we'll get you know get back in the game. And right. you you always know games like that. You can you can recognize them early on. It's like let's just survive this first little bit, and we'll be okay. And unfortunately, it didn't survive. Uh, gave up a couple of goals. Um, the first one a set piece, and uh, it just that those two early goals really changed the game for the Pride. They were they were able to get one back and make it two one and make a game of it. Um, with an Alana Kennedy goal, uh, she also scored for North Carolina, uh, which was Western New York last year at mm-hmm. Portland in the playoffs. So she knows how to score at Portland, and uh, so she scored the first uh, Pride goal in uh, Pride playoff goal in uh, in history and uh, made it two to one. And it really, for a long section of the game, the Pride were in really good shape, and it really looked like they had a good chance to pull level. Uh, they just needed to find that final ball. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be late in the game. Uh, a couple of late goals for uh, for Portland as uh, as the Pride were were throwing people forward, and uh, it made it a lopsided 4-1 final score. Uh, so you get to read about how uh, the Pride were routed and how it was uh, they were you know blown out, and certainly on the scoreboard on the final score sheet that's true. But I don't think it's indicative of the way the Pride played. I thought that they played. Uh, they play. They kept their. They could keep their heads up uh, by the way they played. I thought they played hard. I thought they worked. I thought they were valiant in trying to come back from very difficult uh, circumstances. Uh, but you're going up against a good team and you spot them two goals. It's really an uphill battle, and the Pride were never uh, never able to overcome that. Yeah, the final uh, score is not at all indicative of how that game went. Um, like you said, I mean, you give up the two early, and that that is tough. But you get one back. Once you do. Um, the, the Pride looked like, um, you know, I, I won't say they were necessarily a better team, but they were certainly in it. Um, and they certainly, you know, looked like they could have uh, gotten the equalizer. Um, but it's it's a tough thing to do to, you know, first playoff game in history, travel across mm-hmm. the country, play a, a team like the Portland Thorns, who are one of the better teams in the league. Um, you know, it, it's uh, – and without, you know, the loss of Camilla, there's – there were things that were going against them, um, and and yet, um, until you know close to the end, you, you still felt like okay, you know, there's still something that can they can do. There's still something that can happen. It mm-hmm. unfortunately didn't turn out that way, but I don't want if if you didn't watch the match, don't read the hype. You know, if you have the chance, go back and watch it um, because uh, we're talking about a team that. Um, you know, we talked about it all year, you know, started out slow, but they were missing some pieces, came on strong, made it to the playoffs. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and we're looking, we're looking excellent. Uh, You know, they had a nine game non losing streak uh, there at the end. So there was, this is a team that um, this is a good team. They, they lost the game and, and the score makes it look bad, but um, there's nothing to be, ashamed of you can be you can be upset and disappointed that they didn't you know advance uh, you know I, I get that but to, to to think that they didn't uh you know play their hearts out and and you know do the city you know well by how they tried and and how they played is 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 ridiculous so you know um take take this from from this season next year We've got all of them and maybe some other pieces from the get-go. 
Yeah, every team's a little bit different from year to year. It's it was nice to see the pride uh, added. Uh, they added some very very good pieces in the off season. They added Camilla. They added Chioma Bogagu. They added Marta. They added Ali Krieger. These are not nothing additions. These are all additions that made a big impact on the team this year. Um, I thought that there were some dead weight on the team, and that that was uh, jettisoned. Uh, Alana Kennedy is another uh, player that was a, a great addition to this team. Um, you know, coming back, they were going to have a great team next year. I think they have to get a little more physical. I think they have to be able to handle uh, the hacking and the the uh, you know the the fouling that goes on when you're you're talking about an Alex Morgan. When you're talking about Marta. The way that teams battle those players is to be physical with them, uh, much like we've seen with Christian Pulisic uh, in in, uh, in Concacaf qualifying. Yep. It's just a matter of I'm not going to let you have a free run at the goal. I'm not going to let you put my goalkeeper in jeopardy. I'm going to just take you down and and deal with the free kick or whatever. So that's kind of how it goes. And I think they just need to be have a little bit more physicality, uh, you know, in and around those defenders because those defenders are being very physical. But I think if you look at this league. It's a 10-team league, and over the course of this season, two teams have shown that they are a little bit head and shoulders above the rest. North Carolina Courage and Portland Thorns. Those are the two teams that are competing at Orlando City Stadium on Saturday for the NWSL Championship. It's not a it's not a mistake or it's not a, a fluke that those two teams are, are the final teams standing. They were the best teams all year. They were the best defensive teams. They were the most physical teams, along with Chicago Red Stars, who... Uh, uh, couldn't uh, couldn't score enough goals to, to keep up with the, the pride in the standings. I think the pride uh, probably were not as good a team overall as Chicago uh, Red Stars, but managed to get more points than, you know, one more point than the Chicago Red Stars, so good for them. And, you know, I, I go back to the beginning of the season and just looking at the pride on paper, I thought mm-hmm. this is a team that can finish in a playoff spot maybe as high as third, and if, if, if all the stars align, uh, Alex comes back and starts a scoring spree and her and Marta combine for 25 goals. I think they ended up combining for 23 goals uh, on the season and uh, they did finish in third. So I kind of it was exactly kind of how I thought it would go for this team. They were going to start out slow. They were going to start to gel and then they were going to take off later in the season and start scoring goals and and, uh, and putting teams under pressure. That's exactly what they did. They just need to take that next step. Uh, they're playing against teams that have been around a few years, that have built good depth in the league, which is a hard thing to do in this league because mm-hmm. of the roster limitations and the salary cap. It's very hard to build a, to build a very deep, uh, talented team. Um, so you know you find those you find a lot of teams in this league have those holes, and when a player gets hurt or suspended, you know they have a real big problem, and. Orlando Pride, I think, for the most part, avoided that. You, you can never lose your key players. And Camilla was certainly a key player for the Pride. Sure. Um, and uh, it was interesting to see how Tom Sermani dealt with that. He decided to go a, a way that I thought he wouldn't go. He played Tony Presley uh, instead of playing the rookie Rachel Hill up top like we've seen before. He wanted to keep Marta in that forward line rather than move her back to the midfield where Camilla would normally be. Um can't fault him for that strategy. He thought that's what the best way to go was, keep Marta close to Alex and mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, closer to goal. And uh, so he, he did what he thought was right. And I think that, you know, had they not given up the two quick goals early, I think that, that you know, we, we saw how they reacted from about, I don't know, what about the 25-minute mark? 
yep. to about the 70-minute mark, somewhere in that range. They were really good in that range against uh, one of the best teams in the league, certainly the best defensive team in the league, uh, led the team, uh, led the league in shutouts. Uh, their goalkeeper kept uh, the most clean sheets that have ever been kept in NWSL this year, uh, the toughest home environment uh, on the turf in front of the big crowd. Um, you know, you... you you got to play what you're what you're dealt, and that was the that was what they were dealt, and they uh, they didn't get it done. But you know, at the end of the year, only one team can win it all, and it would have been really nice to have had them at home for the final. Uh, but it was always going to be a long shot, whether they went to Portland or whether they went to North Carolina, and uh, they they had a chance when it was two one to get back in that game. Never could quite find that second goal, and um, you know the result is they're they're going to be at home watching the final. You know, uh, the the takeaway for me is um, they they met and I, I would say actually maybe exceeded ex- expectations. OK, now they met what you thought they were going to do. And right. Right. Well, but well, I, well done, Kreskin. But, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, You're right, because I have I know a lot of people in women's soccer writers throughout women's soccer that that they were predicting the pride to finish anywhere from fifth to eighth. And I'm thinking, Alex Morgan, Marta, Ali Krieger, Ashlyn Harris. No way this is Steph Catley. There's no way this team's finishing eighth place. Uh, but I tell you, they've earned respect uh, around the league and from from uh, from writers all over the country who didn't believe that this team could come together and and play well. They didn't. They weren't respecting the you know the role players. They weren't respecting Obogagu. They weren't respecting. Um, Kristen Edmonds. They weren't respecting Jasmine Spencer or Rachel right. Hill, yep. or uh, in some respect, they weren't respecting a Danny Weatherholt who had a great season. So, you know, I think the future is really bright for this team, Dave, and it's it's it sucks to get eliminated from the playoffs, but they were there. They, and uh, that's something that Orlando City can't say and OCB might not be able to say. Right. And they were there and they were exciting, not just in you know, the, the final run up, they were exciting all year. You know, you, you watch something get built essentially. I mean, the, the groundwork was laid, uh, you know, last season, but this season you saw the, the building of it and everything coming together and it makes you excited for next, next year. I mean, how can you not be excited to, to, you know, with, you know, Alex, saying, hey, guess what? I'm not going abroad anymore. I'm, I'm full-time here at Orlando, and, uh, you know, we're going to do this. Marta, you know, being there. Um, at some point, you know, not right away, but, you know, get Camilla back. Um, and, and everybody else you just mentioned. I mean, there's all the pieces are there for, for them being one of the top-tier teams. And, I, like I say, I'm, I'm beyond excited for the, the mm-hmm. potential that they have, you know, going into next season. I, it's if you take away that first part of the season where we didn't have Alex and, and we and Marta hadn't shown up yet, and they were still trying to find their identity and they were still getting the notion. You take that away, how many more wins do they have? Are they, you know, or are they not, you know, sitting at three? Maybe they're sitting at two, maybe one. I mean, they they made the playoffs, you know, with all of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they only won one of one of their first five or six games. So. Right. So uh, you know, yeah. I mean. <laughs> It's it, it looks the future is bright, ladies and gentlemen, and hopefully the schedule makers won't kill them at the beginning <laughs> of the year like they did last year, uh, sending them. They had to go at Portland, at Seattle. Yeah. Can uh, we can we not start uh, a game, uh, start the season at Portland again, please? At the, they had to play at the defending champions. They had to host 
the other team that made the finals, they had a they had a really rough <laughs> early part of the schedule, which is one of the reasons why I thought they would start slow. But uh, yeah, I, I think that they'll be you know we don't know what's going to happen personnel wise in the off season, but we I, I as long as they don't lose anybody crucial and they pick up some players, I think that they're going to be in everybody's top four yeah. uh, predictions for next year. And um, you know who knows? We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about you know you look at this team and you look back at the beginning of the season and they're they're starting center backs at the beginning of the year were Alana Kennedy and uh, Laura Alloway. Well, Tom Cermani made a lot of changes to get the team to where it ended up being. And one of those crucial changes was to move Alana Kennedy to defensive midfielder to play a role similar to Julie Ertz plays in Chicago and with the U.S. Uh, women's national team. It was a great move by Tom. Uh, the other great move uh, was Laura Alloway wasn't getting it done. He ended up uh, benching her. Uh, he went with Tony Presley for a while. Uh, he moved Allie Krieger inside because mm-hmm. uh, uh, even though there wasn't a lot of depth at right back, uh, she was the best person for the job. So uh, Alloway left. Presley was in a couple games, gave up a couple late hand, uh, you know, penalties. Um, he decided to move even more. So Krieger was no longer the right center back. She became the left center back. And Monica became her partner. And really, uh, from that point on, the back line really gelled. Uh, Catley and, uh, and uh, next to Krieger uh, with Monica on the right side of the middle. And then uh, that right back spot was uh, typically... Uh, Kristen Edmonds, although a couple other players had played there over the course of the season. So, um, you know, these are some areas that will get addressed in the offseason and uh, and become stronger. They're, they're going to get more depth in the midfield. They're going to get a right back probably, uh, maybe another center back that allows Allie Krieger to go back to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's hard to say exactly what will happen. It's, a lot of it depends on, you know, who you can recruit because uh, NWSL and women's soccer in general is a lot of it is about recruiting. So uh, Tom is a, is a, is a good uh, ambassador for the club and that he's, you know, he's such a player's coach. The players love playing for him. And um, you know, he has shown, here's a guy who Dave, you know, you and I talk about Jason Christ all the time, but Tom Sermani is a guy that a lot of people wanted him fired last year for finishing ninth place. A lot of people still wanted him fired and even more people wanted him fired earlier this year when the team got off to a slow start. And all he did was uh, put them together with uh, a lot of, a lot of shrewd movement of players, changed his formation as needed and got that team all the way up to third place in the NWSL. So it is a testament to what can happen when you have a consistent message and you stick with the plan. And, you know, a lot of people want to blow up uh, the lions and, and get rid of Christ, and, you know, that could work because there's no saying that it couldn't work, but it's much more rare for someone to just come in right off the get-go and turn things around instantly than it is uh, when you've got a proven MLS Cup winner who has a plan in place and is following that plan, and all he needs is that little bit of continuity. Well, and now has a whole ton more money to do something with. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Orlando City uses the funds so that they won't have to spend on Kaká, as well as the designated player spot, which is uh, probably even more uh, important at this point, because you don't have to buy a $7 million DP. No. You can buy a, you can buy a $3 million DP. Yes. Um, uh, it just depends on who, who you're getting, but you can maybe lure uh, one of those uh, younger, uh, really talented South Americans, uh, maybe a midfielder from uh, you know to, uh, to MLS, that if they're not getting 
those same kind of offers from you know the teams in Europe. So uh, that's how you get those guys, or maybe you get a guy who feels a little bit underappreciated in playing in Europe. Uh, so there, there's a there's some opportunities there. But Dave, we have rattled on for over an hour and a quarter, and it, we haven't even brought in our special guest, and he's one of the most special guests we've had all year. So uh, why don't we get to this week's special guest, none other than uh, Coach Tom Sermani from the Orlando Pride. We'll do that right after this. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're happy to have with us Orlando Pride head coach Tom Sermani. Coach, thanks for uh, for coming back on the podcast with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, uh, I guess I wanted to start off with the, the game in Portland that uh, I think all of us would kind of rather forget at this point. But um, I, I just wanted to get your perspective on the beginning of that game and, and sort of what happened um, – early in that game was it was it uh you know what was it in your mind in terms of was it maybe uh just portland jumping on top early being the experienced playoff team or or a slow start by your team or was it you know what do you what do you see for portland's uh quick start there i mean it's probably a combination of both i think uh, we anticipated particularly when they're um you know shooting at the the end where they've got the the main supporters we knew we were going to be under a little bit of pressure early. Uh, and, and just sometimes things happen and games teams got on a roll and, and they got two early goals. So it it, it kind of happens. We, we You know, obviously, it's things that we speak about before the game starts and uh, and, and try to contain and, and try to stay composed and calm under that kind of pressure. But uh, on the day, you know, to be fair, particularly the free kick delivery was, was first class. They, they got a free kick that kind of wasn't a free kick in the first place, but again, that happens in, in these kind of environments. And, um, and suddenly you find yourself two goals behind. It's, uh, you know, it's happened at times during my career in teams for me, and it's happened in times against me. But uh, despite the start, I thought our team really responded very well after that. Well, um, now, of course, you guys had to travel all the way across the country and play a team that you hadn't uh, beaten before to, um, do you think that the uh, the travel or just the matchup, um, no. you know, put put you guys at a disadvantage? I don't think any of that was at a disadvantage. We travelled. I mean, we got in there Wednesday afternoon and we played Saturday, so the travel's not the travel wasn't an issue. And and the fact that people say that we haven't beaten Portland, we're, we're our second season in the league. In two of the cases we played Portland, has been the first game of the season in Portland when we essentially have had absolutely no time to work with our squad. Um, the third game, again, or the two games against them in Orlando, we were actually leading the first game to the 85th minute and lost 2-1. And then um, the last game we drew with them. So, you know, I think it's easy for, for everybody to look and, and try to actually find reasons why certain things happen. You know, the reality was they get two early goals. And I think, you know, from about the 20th minute, to the 70th minute in the game, we dominated the game, got back into the game, had a couple of good chances that we didn't convert and, and get caught in the breakaway. And that and that, that decided the game. And that's what decides the game when it's two, two top-level players playing against each other. Tom, the, the final score I, I felt like was a bit flattering for Portland, and uh, I'm sure you probably yeah. felt that way as well. Um, you know, it's... 
people will, of course, second guess, you know, should should uh, Tom Sermani have played, um, you know, all of his uh, his top players against North Carolina in a game that just only only uh, only meant seeding and that kind of thing. And I just want to give you, you know, sort of a chance to to address that and and, and talk about, you know, what what went into that thought? Was it it was it a team decision? Was it a Tom Sermani decision? Okay. It was a mixture. So, so the first thing I think the scoreline did flatter. Um, I mean, without doubt, and that happens in 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 our game from time to time. Um, and that's why I felt really disappointed for the players because the effort and the actual flow of the game, and if you look statistically in the game, we were actually very very much in the game. So, so that thing happened. In regards to North Carolina, the, the situation was. You know, we were in a, a role of, of going eight games undefeated. We're playing week to week. So you have to put a balance in saying, do you then put out a weakened or perceived weakened team and rest players for two weeks? And quite often, if players come back after two weeks, they're actually very rusty. So, you know, you want to keep in the rhythm of what you're doing. Our team wanted to keep in the rhythm of, of, of what we we're doing. Our team wants to be a winning team. We want to go out and we win games. So, in, in hindsight, should we have gone to Portland instead of North Carolina? Who knows? If we'd gone to North Carolina the week before, put out a weekend team and lost 4-0, gone there on Saturday and lost 2-0, what question would you be asking me now? <laughs> so, and, and that's where, you know, it's wonderful for people and pundits to then look and say, um, well, we should have done this, we should have done that. The reality is, We've got a group of players, and, and we spoke to our players, and we spoke to them before the North Carolina game. We said this was a game where there was no pressure, the result didn't matter, and all we wanted to do was go out and play well. The reality was we've got a group of players that want to go out and win games. Now, if, as a coach, if you want me, or anybody wants me, to try and discourage my players to, lose, to not win games, then I ain't doing my job, and I'm not giving the right message to our players. And our players would have reacted badly to that. So, you know, in, you know, given the same circumstances, we would have done exactly the same thing. Well, that's completely understandable. Um, I guess the other thing that uh, people took out of that uh, North Carolina game was um, losing Camilla and, um, you know, what that may have uh, done as far as, um, yeah. you know, strategy and, and personnel. We, we, we certainly miss Camilla. She's been sensational this season but again I'll stress the same thing we've played 23 games before that game and Camilla's featured I think in every one of those games and not get injured so what do you say do you, do you stop playing you can't stop playing football players she could easily got that injury in a training session in a warm up I mean it's just life mm-hmm. when you're playing when you're playing our sport so again um, you've got to get the balance of saying do you want our team to keep in the rhythm? Do we want to have continuity of selection? Do we want to continually build up a real good um, balance in the team or or rest players? So if we were resting players, we probably wouldn't have rested Camilla. We would have rested Marta, perhaps rested Alex Morgan, perhaps rested Ali Krieger. So you know, Camilla is a 22-year-old player who actually benefits from playing week in and week out. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, could you have a um, sort of a timetable on, on what Camilla's injury looks like in terms of, of her return? 
Yeah, yeah, she had she had a, an operation um, today. She had an ACM operation today on her birthday, which is not a great <laughs> birthday present. Right. Um, she had an operation today, and uh, I would say that a very optimistic recovery time is seven months. Definitely, I think we're looking at eight to nine months. We want to make sure she's part of the future of this club. She's just turned 23. Um, we want to make sure we her recovery is, is complete before we put her back on a, a soccer field. So, you know, I, I would be looking at June next year. All right, Tom. The uh, the one thing I wanted to to ask. Sorry to to, to segue there, Dave. But uh, <laughs> the one thing I wanted to ask Tom about when you look back at the the 2017 season, what what are the big takeaways for you as a coach uh, for what this team? has accomplished and, and how this team has developed from year one to year two? I think the, the first thing is we've got a sensational group of players that, that really love working together, training together, playing together, and, and are unbelievably supportive of each other and of the culture of, of this club and they're very aware of their responsibilities to the club and the community. That, that's first and foremost. The second thing, I think, is that we've now got a foundation of a very, very good side here. And it's a side that's got a great balance of, of young players and experienced players. And uh, going forward into next season and future season, I think we've now got um, the, the pieces in place to build a really successful club for, for many years to come. Well, uh, that... Um spins nicely into my next question uh you know of course i'm sure there was immediate disappointment after the the match but uh after a few days of everybody being able to process and i know you guys got back together and talked about uh the season and, and going forward what was the attitude of the players the attitude of the players was first class and and you know I, i've been in, as we all have in many dressing rooms after after games where you you know you you finish the season or you've lost the game and and you get a sense of, there's obviously that sense of disappointment. But what I felt in our dressing room after the game at the weekend was, was something very different. It was a, the difference was that, that we really feel, and our players feel, that we have got a winning team here and a team that's going to be successful. And, and that loss on Saturday, particularly the, 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 the scale of the loss, really hurt them very, very hard. Uh, and I think we've got a, a group of players that really uh, feel it um, a real connection with one another and with this club and, and want to take this club and a land of pride forward this year. Tom, uh, looking forward, it obviously it was nice to, to get that contract extension at the end of the season and, and know that your your future with the club is taken care of a little bit uh, moving forward. When you look at moving into 2018, and you may not have made all these evaluations yet, but where do you see the, the main areas uh, that this team can improve heading into 2018. Okay, I think uh, it's couple of I think I think in the, in the attacking sense we've got a real uh, variety and a potent attack in this team. I think we need a little bit of strength in the midfield. There's probably a little bit of uh, strengthening strengthening in our defence, and we probably need to bring try to bring in a couple of players that um, that are compete better with the physicality of this league. I think, you know, if I look at our team in comparison to the top four teams, I think the other teams are physically a little bit stronger. 
And unfortunately, we're at a stage in women's football where uh, teams like us really don't get protected like they should because there's a view out there that female players don't deliberately foul each other. But if you look at how we play and the teams that we play against, you know, we have a significant foul count against us with little um, consequence for the opposition. Mm-hmm. So I think in into next year, we need to kind of start to go out there and match the, the physical um, competence of, of the opposition. Well, looking at some of the, the pieces that you're going to have to start next season, obviously um, at the start of this past season, uh, you hadn't gotten Marta in yet. Alex was overseas. Um, that should all be different um, to start off uh, the next campaign. Yeah. Um, how big of a difference is that going to make? Huge. I, I just think overall we'll be a much more stable team next year. You know, year one was like a block. You're trying to get 20 players together, staff together, put an organization together. You had the Olympics in the middle of all that. It was a real block. I think what we did exceptionally well during the off-season was recruiting. I think every player that we brought into the club has made a significant improvement to the team. So we've really got the base now. So now we're going into season three with what I'd call a stable core and a group of players that are really comfortable playing with each other. And we just need to add a few, hopefully the right pieces uh, to that mix. And I think we've got a, a great combination of, uh, you know, and a great potential squad heading forward into next year. Tom, when I look at this team and I, and I see some of the players like uh, like a Camilla, like a uh, Rachel Hill, a Danica Evans, these these young uh, players that can that can uh, grow with the club for years to come. One thing I'm reminded, and maybe I'm a little bit different uh, than a lot of people think, is that you know in the middle of the season you had a player who retired for essentially monetary reasons, Maddie Evans, uh, and. Yeah. I just wonder what your thoughts are on the, you know, where the league is going, how how wages will grow uh, for these players, and and is there are there other things that you know not only the club but maybe the community can do to to help uh, you know support and uh, in in a true sense and and maybe supplement these these players. No, that's that's a great question. I mean, female players professionally. Well, you, you German and female players professionally don't play for money. So it's as simple as that. The, the game's kind of reached the stage now where the, the elite end of the players or the, the established internationals with good international programs are now making a reasonable living out of the game. But your players just coming out of college, it, it's difficult to do that. And that's why you see the likes of Maddie Evans after five years in the league saying, well, I need to now start looking at, I'm um, 27, 28, I need to start looking at my future and I need to get a proper job and a proper career. And, and that's the reality, you know, that was probably the reality of men's football 25, 30 years ago. It's the current reality of women's football. And I think, you know, that, that it's gradually changing. But I think um, it's a great point about the club and the community here. And the one great thing we have in Orlando is that the support for the community and the interaction between the, the players in the community and, and what would be a great outcome is for our players to be able to stay here 12 months of the year, be able to get connections within the community that supplement income in the times where they're not earning money playing for a land of pride. Um, and, and the club has gone, you know, and the club and people around the club have gone some ways to kind of start that process in place 
that it'd be really good if we could keep our players here 12 months of the year, that they could be settled here, that they could earn a good income. And that just makes it you know, much easier when you come in to play football because they don't have other worries or other stresses in their life. Well, Tom, as as busy as you are, I'm certain that you're a uh, a regular listener of the uh, Mainland Podcast, so you know <laughs> how big of a supporter uh, I am, and how how much Michael and I uh, uh, want everybody to get out and watch the the team. Um, what do you uh, what do you think uh, could could help um, with that as far as attendance going? Because uh, Michael and I, you know, berated people to get out there and watch you guys just because of the yeah, quality I, of the product. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know, it's, it's, it's a great question because the people that come out and the loyal support that we've got and numbers we've got are unbelievable. They are unbelievable. The, the connection they have to the team and the support we get are just phenomenal. We just need to get more. I think we've been a wee bit unfortunate this season that Literally every home game we've had has the rain. <laughs> it just seems to have rained at the very wrong time that it could rain. So, uh, and, and that's kind of, I think, impacted um, numbers a little bit. We've had a couple of games in the steaming pot of the middle of the day in summer, and I think we need to look at that a little bit better. And, and it's a case of us just getting out there and... and continually to push and push and get the word out there because as you know what what they see on the field when people come to the game particularly people who are not maybe familiar with women's soccer when they come and they look at the game they're amazed at the, the level the standard and the quality of players that we have and then they're also amazed at the interaction between our players and our supporters it's a unique experience and I think the thing for all of us that we're all in this everybody from the, the top level of our club right down to you guys and me and everybody else, we need to be out there like trying to educate people on how good this experience is to come and watch the fight. Yeah, Tom, and if there wasn't a thing called the Portland Thorns, you guys would be tops in the league in attendance. So uh, it, there may be a way to go, but but the, the town is holding its own for sure, even despite the rain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. But we, and, and I think what we need to do again into next season is we need to look at trying to rival the, rival the uh, Thorns. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, before we let you get out of here, I want to be cognizant of your time, but um, <clears throat> I wanted you to – Kind of walk us through what an off-season w- looks like for Tom Sermani, how much traveling you do, and also whether or not you have a, a sense of, yet of how many of your players are going to head uh, down under to play in Australia. Great question. I, wish, I, I usually don't know what I'm doing the next day. Um, <laughs> we, we've got, we, we were, Camilla was going to go down there, so we're going to have five players down there, but at the moment it's only four. Uh, so like for me in the off-season, so what are we doing is that, uh, I'm looking to go over to the UK because I want to watch a couple of games there because there's, there's a couple of players that we could be interested in, in bringing back next year. Um, and then uh, I'll head back, uh, I'll head down to Australia for a little bit because we, we're likely to have some players playing back there in the, in the W League. And it gives me an opportunity to catch up with them and, and also to have a look at uh, some potential players down there. 
All right. Well, Tom Sermani, uh, congratulations on a great 2017 season. It was it was about uh, a game short of what we would have uh, wanted. Obviously, in a, in a in an ideal world, it would have been nice to see what kind of turnout the uh, the pride would have gotten in that championship game at home. But uh, you know, next year you guys can go out and and spoil someone else's home game in uh, in the championship. Exactly what we'll do. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, and good luck to you uh, this off season with uh, you know with continuing to build this club. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the call. Man, this is a mega supersize podcast, David Rowe, and uh, that was uh, really a lot of fun to talk to Tom Sermani. It absolutely was. Um, I'm not going to apologize. Uh, there was a ton to talk about, and uh, that's kind of what we do here. So, uh, But I will absolutely agree with you. Um, getting to talk to Tom and hear his perspective on everything, that was a- absolutely fantastic. I love talking to Tom. That is his uh, third time on the podcast. He's been on uh, – we had him on the first time uh, back in December of 2015. He was on last year to wrap up the season uh, in October of 2016. So it's, it's an annual rite of passage to talk to Tom and uh, he's just really a great guy to talk to. And he'll tell you anything. He'll tell you things that the PR staff have to jump in and make you delete. Wait, are you <laughs> saying that we know things that other people don't right now? <laughs> yeah, we do. We are in the know, but we're not allowed to say anything or Jackie, no. Jackie will have our heads. Thank you to Jackie Maynard for setting up the uh, interview with Tom Sermani and a big thanks to Tom for coming on the podcast he's been here twice before so he knew what to expect and he came back anyway so uh thanks for that um (laughs) anyway before we get out of here dave a couple points of business we've got our ask the mainland segment which we don't have a lot of questions this week just one from our friend mark johnson uh we'll we'll uh, get to that in a second after i tell people that you can ask us anything anything it's like an ama on reddit so just ask us whatever uh, whatever you want to know. It can be about soccer. It can be about not soccer. Uh, it could be about anything. It could be about the new Star Wars trailer. Um, but, Ooh, yeah. it, but it probably won't be. It probably won't no. be about the new, new Star Wars trailer, but it can be. That's I'm just giving you an example of what you can ask us. You can ask us literally anything. Uh, you can do that one of two ways. You can either hit us up on Twitter. We are at the mainland, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D, at the mainland and hit us up with the uh, hashtag AskTMLPC, which stands for Ask the Mainland Podcast. Um, don't know why I made podcast two words in the in the hashtag, but <laughs> let's not get let's it not works. yeah let's let's not overanalyze <laughs> the hashtag. Um, the other thing you can do is you can email us. And uh, that email address is themainland at gmail.com. And, of course, it's the same spelling, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D, themainland at gmail.com. Hit us up and ask us anything you like. Um, So speaking of anything that you want to ask us, uh, Mark Johnson uh, had a question for us based on uh, the the big caca announcement. Uh, he wants to know who is going to fill David Rowe that number ten spot for Orlando City now that Kaká is departing. Uh, well, that's a two-part answer. Uh, the part uh, first part of long term is player to be determined. Um, 
the short-term answer is, well, uh, probably Giles. He's been, you know, stepping in there and doing that. So he'll we'll have him not this next game because Kaká will be there, and uh, he'll I'm sure they'll let him do that again, or maybe not. Maybe Giles is in the ten, and and Kaká's playing out wide like he has been. Uh, but in the last game against the Union, I anticipate it will be Giles in that spot, and then. The exciting part, the unknown part, is the going forward. Who do we bring in to potentially be that guy to uh, fill that midfield position that we've been talking about every week uh, on this very podcast? Um, I don't know. That's what's exciting. But what uh, is nice is that we'll actually have money to go get somebody. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. I think, Dave, you, you hit it on the head. It's uh, that number 10 spot. Probably for the Philadelphia game will be Giles Barnes. It could be Yoshimari Otun, um, but it probably will be Barnes. And, uh, and then I expect uh, some new faces uh, in camp next year vying for that number 10 spot. I don't know if Giles Barnes will be back at his salary. Uh, I don't know uh, if some of the other guys will be back. We'll certainly get into that in our offseason discussions. Mm-hmm. As we uh, we generally do, but uh, for now, um, yeah, player to be named later uh, for uh, for 2018, uh, I would say. Uh, thanks for the question, Mark Johnson. And again, uh, if you want to ask us anything, uh, the mainland at gmail.com is how you can do it via the old email system, or uh, hit us up on the Twitters, and uh, you can hit us up uh, at the mainland is uh, is where you tweet to, and you use the hashtag #AskTMLPC. Uh, Dave, we have one final uh, little bit of business here, and that is uh, the Orlando City squad is getting ready for its home finale against the the, uh, hated Columbus crew. And uh, that was a a game that, you know, ended up in a draw the the last time they came in. And I thought that it was a pretty undeserved draw on uh, Columbus's part. I thought that Orlando City uh, deserved more than one point in that game, uh, but they did not get more than one point in that game. So what I need to know from you is what's your key matchup and uh, does Orlando get more than one point? What is your final score prediction? Uh, Final score prediction is 2-1 Orlando City wins uh, for the very uh, scientific reason of they're out of playoff contention, so they're going to win. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I think uh, the key matchup is going to be – Kaká against anybody he plays against because it's going to be his last uh, his last match uh, with the Lions in, in MLS and I, I think he's going to want to go out and and do something. Um, I, I think he's going to want to have a good game. So uh, and and I think everybody else is going to want to play well for him. So uh, that's the actual reason I think that uh, Orlando City wins. Uh, plus, you know, I anticipate the fans are going to be out in force uh, to say goodbye to the captain. Um, I think it's it's a one-game farewell tour. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I see a 2-1 win. All right, yeah. You know, I do believe we're going to see probably Kaká playing like a man possessed, at least in the first half of that game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how it goes. I, I think anytime uh, that you play Columbus, you got to be cognizant of Justin Miram and you got to be cognizant of Ola Kamara. And uh, so I think that the uh, the center backs uh, are going to take center stage once again. I think that uh, we'll probably see a Specter-Hines pairing 
And uh, I think that the, the, how they react to Columbus's attack is going to be the key to that game. I was going to say 2-1, but you did. And oh, so now no. I don't know if I want to say 2-1 or not. I think that this just seems to be a an off-kilter year, and I'm going to predict a 2-2 draw. Uh, I am uh, hopeful that we see uh, Dom Dwyer back on the score sheet uh, this week for Orlando City because uh, we didn't get our backflip last time. Uh, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> we'd have to go back and look at the times that we've predicted the same thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure we've been wrong every single time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm pretty sure that most of the times when we predicted We're wrong anyway, different yeah. things, we, we've also been wrong. So, yeah, I, think, I don't it's think almost, it matters. It's almost like we can't see the future. Uh, you know, you would think by now we would know how to how to uh, how to how to see the future. Uh, I, I don't, you know, by you would have we should have learned this by now. This is a, I think it's a learned skill, isn't it? It's not something you're born with. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it, it is. Uh, men of a certain age are supposed to have that, and <laughs> evidently we we miss the uh, the class at whatever point. So well, it's like I tell my wife, I I don't have ESP, I have ESPN, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, um. Yeah, I, I think 2-2, two, two, and I, I, I thank you for your uh, your prediction, and I thank you for your key matchup, and now we know exactly what will not happen uh, between <laughs> the crew and Orlando City on Sunday. It's a it's a weird game time. I think it's a 5 o'clock game, day. 5 o'clock game. 5 o'clock game o'clock on Sunday. Sunday, so it will be hot and uh, muggy, but not maybe not as hot and muggy as uh, an earlier game. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, Simon Venice, uh, who has been on our podcast before to talk about his book, um, uh, Defying Expectations, which uh, is starting to trickle out. I have uh, not yet received my copy, but I didn't check the mail today or, or, or yesterday, so it might be out there now for all I know. Uh, but he was going to get me a copy of that. And uh, they're going to do an official book launch uh, on Sunday, uh, October 15th, and uh, that's going to be uh, at the Broken Cauldron Brewery on West mm. Church Street. So West Church Street from two o'clock on, uh, get out to the Broken Cauldron. Just go to the Broken Cauldron anyway because they got anyway, really, sure, really yeah. good beer. <laughs> get really good beer there. Uh, but the, the the book launch is October fifteenth. Uh, so uh, that is this Sunday at two o'clock before the game. So you have uh, you're going to probably be there anyway, especially if you're in the Ruckus or ILF because you're going to be uh, that's where the tailgates are uh, for the for the supporters groups. Uh, just stop by and, uh, and 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 say hi to Simon. And, and uh, get a copy of his book because uh, he worked really hard on that. He's a good dude. All right, Dave, we have kept these people here long enough. Uh, I hope you guys are listening to this in your car so you're at least sitting down. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, wanted to once again thank uh, our uh, thank our guest, uh, Tom Sermani and uh, Jackie Maynard uh, from Orlando City Communications uh, for getting uh, Tom on the horn with us. And uh, we wish uh, the coach, good luck in his recruiting efforts and his scouting efforts in the off season uh, as he heads off to uh, to parts unknown to uh, to scout players for the Orlando Pride's uh, dominating 2018 season ahead. Uh, we want to uh, ask everybody to check out our writings, our scribblings on uh, themainland.com. Uh, please uh, like us on uh, on Facebook, and uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter and all of that good stuff. And uh, we will. Uh, be happy to uh, 
to read your five-star review if you leave one for us at iTunes. So that's all the ways you can consume our product, and uh, we, we we don't get paid. So um, No, we so, really don't. So we just get the satisfaction of knowing you're out there. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, episode 107 will now be considered uh, in the can. We'll be back next week to talk about the uh, Orlando City Columbus Crew game and to preview the Philadelphia Union, which will be the season finale for 2017. It seems like we're just getting ready for New York City. Uh, And uh, we will also be talking about OCB, whether or not they made it to the USL playoffs. Uh, We'll probably have more information on that Orlando City friendly against Puerto Rico uh, to raise money for for that cause and uh, hurricane relief. And uh, we'll have all of that to talk about next week. And then um, we will continue with our weekly schedule of podcasts until all Orlando teams are exhausted. So uh, either the week after the Philadelphia game or if OCB is uh, in the playoffs and still playing, we will come back uh, as long, you know, every week as long as they're still in. And then we will go to our monthly off season schedule. So uh, we'll get some much needed rest for our voices you'll get much needed break from us and come back fresh uh (laughs) once a month uh when we will have a little bit more news to talk about of course uh november is always a big month for orlando city because that's when black wednesday happens the wednesday before thanksgiving tends to be when they announce their cuts um and there'll there'll be lots to talk about there'll be florida cup we we know the teams that are going to be in there we're going to save that talk for a little bit closer to florida cup uh and we'll have uh just uh, all the off-season happenings to bring you, uh, you know, November, December, January, February, and now we're back to month uh, weekly again. Well, which is to say that it's all the more important that during those once-a-month sessions that you guys get the ask the uh, TMLPC questions on whatever topic you want because <laughs> we're going to need stuff to talk about. So, you know, step up, guys. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, Dave, because I, I know, we'll have I a three-hour podcast just <laughs> answering questions. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. On behalf of David Rowe, I am uh, Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of TheManland.com, signing off the way I always do by saying, Go City!